Welcome to the sermon podcast of Old Bridge Baptist Church. Our mission at OBBC is to make disciples of Christ who connect with God, others, ministry, and the lost. We pray that the following sermon will encourage you in your walk with Christ today. Visit us on the web anytime at obb.church. Change, it permeates our existence as creatures. Change does. Life is, it, it seems, is in a constant state of flux. The seasons are changing. I felt that this week. The political landscape is always changing. The rules of the culture are changing. The decade is getting ready to change. Going to be back in the roaring 20s here in a few months. <coughs> And people change. I, I myself change as I reflected on this truth this week. I'm not who I was last year at this time. I'm not who I was five years ago. I've changed. I'm, I'm growing and learning and becoming, always becoming something, right? Fatter or skinnier, stronger or weaker, faster or slower, healthier or sicker, wiser, more foolish, richer or poorer, becoming older, becoming more experienced. I've experienced things that I don't ever want to experience again, right? And on the other hand, I've experienced things again that I really do want to experience again. I have potential. I'm not now what I could someday be. Each day dawns with a new horizon of potentiality for me. I have many needs. Sometimes those needs change moment by moment. I have changing passions that often overtake me. You know, at the outset of my day, I don't know what's going to happen to me that day. I don't know how I'm going to feel about what happens to me. Sometimes my feelings overtake me, right? Maybe perhaps if it's a beautiful day and I've had a good breakfast and a good cup of coffee, I'm cheerful, right? Or if it's a a rainy, cloudy, gloomy day and I have much work to do, I might be gloomy and sad. Will I be jealous today? Will I feel longing or perhaps feel numb? Will I laugh? Will I cry? Will I shout or be silly? Only time will tell. I change constantly as a part of a changing world, and so do you. But by contrast to all of that, God does not change. God does not change. Our Father is the unchangeable God. God is immutable. To say that God is immutable means that he does not mutate or change in any way. And in saying that God doesn't change, we're really referring to those things that make him who he is in his essence, his knowledge, his will, his purposes or promises. He does not change. He is immutable in these things. One pastor and theologian, Kevin DeYoung, he summed up God's immutability in this way. He said, God is immutable in his essence, knowledge, will, and purpose. 
His nature cannot be altered for better or worse. His knowledge can never increase or diminish. Whatever he purposes comes to pass. His will, Augustine said, is the necessity of all things. All being, no becoming. There are no latent possibilities in God. Nothing can be added to him or subtracted from him. He learns nothing. He needs nothing. He does not grow. He does not improve. God does not change. Exodus 3.14, when God revealed himself to the, the people of Israel through Moses at the burning bush, Moses objects and says, you know, who am I even going to say sent me? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God's personal name, Yahweh, I am, speaks to his unchangeableness. He is who he is. He has been who he always has been. And he will be who he is now. There's no possibility that tomorrow his name is going to change to I am not. Or there's no possibility that the uh, I am will someday be other than who he is today. I am who I am. Numbers 23:19 says, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it or has he spoken and he will not fulfill it? God here draws a distinction between himself and mankind, between himself and us. We, we so often make the mistake of equating God in our minds with ourselves. We think he is like us, but he's not. We expect him or we imagine him to tell little lies or to stretch the truth or to exaggerate or be insincere in some way. We expect him to change his mind over time for his thinking to evolve or to become enlightened or better. But oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. When God says something will surely happen, then you can know that he will fulfill it. Maybe he won't do it in the timing that you want. Maybe he won't do it in the way that you want, but he will do it. He has done it. You can count on it. Psalm 102, verses 25 through 27 says this, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. You know, the, the previous passage that I read to you from the, the book of, of Numbers 
drew a, a comparison between God and us, right? And if that passage drew a distinction between us and God and said, look, God is different, he doesn't change, Psalm 102 draws a different comparison here. It draws a comparison between God and the rest of his creation. And, and, and what do we see here as God does this? At the beginning of my sermon, I listed many ways in which our, existian, our existence is permeated with change. And yet, even in, in saying that, there are many things about our, the, our surroundings that are actually quite dependable. When you wake up in the morning, you, you don't have to wonder, is there going to be earth under my feet this morning? Right? Is there going to be sky above me? Is the sun going to be there to warm me and to light my way? Is there going to be air to breathe? We sort of take those things for granted, don't we? We don't typically worry about those things. We readily depend on them because they have remained unchanged our whole lives. Look at, look at me now. Look at me. Everybody look up at me. When you draw a comparison between God and his creation, and as dependable as those things are to us, what we read here in Psalm 102 is that God is more dependable. These things here, the, the earth and the sky and the stars and the whole universe is not as sure as God is. God is more dependable than that. Long after the heavens and the earth pass away, God will still remain unchanged. That's who he is. That's who he is. Engage your heart in this truth this morning. Isaiah 46, 11 says, I have spoken, this is the Lord speaking, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. I'm someone who keeps a to-do list. I don't know if you do that, but I, I, if I don't keep a to-do list, I end up doing the, most imp the least important things first. Right, so doing a to-do list helps me to prioritize what I do. But let me tell you, at the end of the week, I look back over my week and I'm frustrated at how little I get done on my to-do list. Guess what? God is more dependable than our lighting system. <laughs> I don't know what's going on up there, but um, it's a little distracting. There we go. Let there be light, right? Um, I, I'm, like I said, I'm a man of to-do lists. I, I, I look back over my week and I realize that I, I didn't get things done and yet it occurs to me that God always gets done his to-do list, right? If he purposes it for it to be done, it gets done. It is done. James 1, 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Malachi 3.6, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. God's immutability, God's unchangeability is the reason why we are not consumed, because he is faithful. We are unfaithful, but he remains faithful. I, the Lord, do not change. Got one more scripture for you. You know, all, all over the place in scripture, God is referred to as a rock. As a rock. You know, when I, when I first 
uh, took this pastor here at this church. We had several holes in our stained glass window. And uh, it, it looked as if either a lawnmower or maybe some kid picked up a rock and, you know, just threw it through the window. And uh, we, thank God we were able to get those fixed. But I can tell you that in that battle between the rock and the window, the rock is always going to win, right? You can, you can take the window and throw it at the rock, and the rock is still going to win. God is our rock. He is our salvation. Psalm 18, 1 through 2 says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. We take refuge in him. Now with all that groundwork laid from, from God's word, I want to make a, a point of clarification on this doctrine. Right? As we, we consider this, uh, this big idea of God's unchangeableness, it's important to, to clarify for you that when I say that God is immutable, it does not mean that he is immobile. It doesn't mean that he is somehow distant and unresponsive to his creation, to those whom he has made, to his creation in general and to us in particular. God is both transcendent or high above us, unchangeable, and the mystery of all mysteries is that he is also at the same time near us and imminent. He's near to us. The unchanging God relates to us, his ever-changing creatures. How does a being who is eternally unchanging relate to us who are constantly changing? How does he do that? It's mysterious. God is not immobile or unliving or unresponsive towards us. God is not, as one theologian put it, locked forever in the prison of his own unchangeableness and self-sufficiency. He's not. He's not imprisoned by this attribute of unchangeableness. Rather, God is in fact actively involved with the world he has made and entered directly into that world as a squirming baby in a messy manger. There's great awe and wonder in pondering the fact that the immutable God joined himself forever with a human nature in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus was, was fully God, unchangeable, and fully man, changeable. Right? It's, it blows your mind. Or as I prefer to say, he was truly God or, and truly man. The human nature of Christ was, was born, matured, learned, grew. In fact, in the book of Luke, we looked at this last Christmas, that in the book of Luke, when, when the boy Jesus was uh, left behind in Jerusalem and uh, Mary had to go back and, and find him, Mary and Joseph, and when they found him, you know, they... they were exasperated by that, and then they took him back, and it, it commented that Jesus continued to grow in, in both stature and in grace in the eyes of God and man. 
the human nature of Christ grew. Jesus slept, he hungered, he was tempted and suffered, and most significantly, he died. He was truly human in all these ways and more, and yet the divine nature in Christ remained immutable in his essence, knowledge, will, and purpose. We can wholeheartedly say with the author of Hebrews that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. It's mysterious, isn't it? So what do we do with passages like we came across in Genesis chapter 6? And this is my whole reason of bringing this up in our study of, of Genesis chapter 6. We come here in, in verses 6 and 7 in particular where it says this, And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. How is it that the Lord regretted or was sorry that he had made man on the earth? In fact, if you have a copy of the old King James Version, this actually, I believe it actually says that the Lord repented that he had made man on the earth. It, it speaks of him changing his mind, right? So God, he made Adam and Eve in the garden. They sinned. He kicked them out of the garden. They, they multiplied on the face of the earth, and we talked several weeks ago about how mankind just sort of rushed headlong towards utter depravity. And God was so grieved by, by man's every intention and thought of his heart that was only evil continually. He was so grieved by that that it says here that he regretted even making us. He repented of even making us. And it grieved him to his heart. How, how is it that, uh, that God can regret something that he has done? I think a, a moment's reflection on these verses will startle your socks off. So I wanted to address it. You know, this is one of a handful of passages in the Old Testament that seems to describe God as changing his mind or regretting or even repenting. And I don't want you to think that when the King James used that term, repent, it wasn't somehow suggesting that God had done something wrong, but to repent simply means to change your mind. When we repent of sin, we change our mind about the fact that we were doing something sinful. We change our mind about that. We turn from it and we turn to the Lord, right? That's simply at its root what the word repentance means. And so if, if we believe that God is unchangeable for all eternity, how is it that he can be described here as changing his mind? What are we to think about this? How are we to respond? Well, I just have three really brief points hear about this. First, I would just exhort you and encourage you to remember the big picture. Keep in mind what the rest of Scripture says so clearly. Not sure what happened there. Let me get back. Remember the big picture. Keep in mind what the rest of Scripture says so clearly. That's why I spent the 
the lion's share of our time this morning reminding you of this attribute of God's unchangeableness from the, from the rest of Scripture. Right? It's all over the place. You can, as you're reading it, you can see it everywhere. He is unchangeable in his essence, knowledge, will, and purposes and promises. And it, it really is a good principle of, of Bible study to allow what is really clear in the scriptures to help you to interpret that which is not as clear. Right? So we're taking this big picture of the fact that God is unchangeable in all that he does and we're helping it, allowing it to help us understand these handful of verses that seem a little bit unclear about this. Secondly, remember the mystery that I talked about. Understand that God is not only transcendent, but he is also imminent. He is an unchanging God relating to us changeable creatures. He's not just up there. He's also down here interacting with us in space, in time, interacting with us space, time-bound creatures. And thirdly, Remember our limitations. Remember our limitations. So, so much of, of what appears to be a change in God is actually a result of a change in us. Did you know that? So much of what appears to be a change in God is actually a change in us. And in order for God to remain who he is, the unchanged one, in his essence, knowledge, will, and purposes, he appears to us to change. But really, he's not the one changing. We are. So one day this week, it was above 90 degrees. When, when was that? Wednesday or Thursday? It was like 90-some-odd degrees, and I was turning my air conditioning on. And the next day, it was freezing cold, and I was turning my heat on. It was crazy. Did the sun change overnight? I'm hoping you're answering no to that. Okay. No, the sun is just as hot today as it was on Wednesday, right? What has changed? The earth has changed. The earth is slowly rotating on its axis, so that's going to be fall time. The sun doesn't change. Sometimes the sun is clouded uh, by clouds and blocked out by, by really thick clouds, or it's, the sun is just slightly farther away from us because of the rotation of the earth's axis. But the sun didn't change. We changed. That's how it is with God. God is the unchanged one. And so many times when we look and we say, man, is God changing on here? Is this a moving target? And we say, no, we need to look back at ourselves and say, no, we were the ones who changed. God created us and we were the ones that, that sinned and walked away from him and were corrupted and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That was us changing, not God. God was remaining who he was. God also so often uses accommodating language because of our limitations, right? God is incomprehensible. Did you know that? God is incomprehensible to us. And, and by that, I don't mean that he's not, uh, he's not unknowable. We do know many things about God, but God is incomprehensible in the fact that we will never completely wrap our minds around him. That's what I mean by God is incomprehensible. It's like me going to the ocean and trying to fill up my bucket and say, look, I captured the ocean, right? My, my bucket cannot comprehend the vast volume of the ocean. It, it will be filled up readily to overflowing. Right? John Calvin once said that 
God speaks to us like a nurse speaks to a child. I think that's actually giving us a little too much credit, right? God accommodates language to help us to understand him. And even when we use human language, we, we're just sort of grasping at, at this language, human language, to be able to describe someone who is incomprehensible, bigger than we can even imagine. The Bible is full of what we call anthropomorphic language. I'm not trying to impress you with my... my big words this morning, but I don't know how else to describe these things without using these words. It's full of anthropomorphic language, which just means that it's, it's using God, uh, it's using language to describe God, language that we normally use to describe a man, and we're applying it to God, who, God is an eternal spirit, he dwells in unapproachable light, and yet we speak of him as if he has an arm, or as if he can smell something or as if he feels a human feeling, right? We can't describe God. What, what is a feeling when you're describing God is love? When I say to a, about a person that, that someone is feeling love right now, there are certain glands in your body, in your human body, that help you to feel that loving feeling, right? Well, when we're talking about God, God is without a human body in that sense. He, he is without heart. He, was, he is without uh, uh, human passions in, in these sorts of ways. And yet we ascribe to him human-like language in order to describe to you what God is like. There's some analogy between what we feel and God feels because we were created in the image of God. It's a really hard thing to, to explain. And I'm kind of, I, I even myself, if the Bible is grasping at these at human words to describe God, I have spent all week grasping at, at human language to think of how can I explain this to you? And I, I, I myself am feeling my own limitations in being able to describe that to you. Let me give you an example here from Scripture that I think really captures best what I'm talking about here. In the book of 1 Samuel, God expresses a similar regret that we read here in, in Genesis chapter 6, only he's expressing this regret over the fact that he made Saul king. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 10 and 11, it says this, The word of the Lord came to Samuel, and he says, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned his back from following me, and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all night. You hear that? It's the same language here. It's, it's speaking about how Samuel, I mean, I'm sorry, how Saul failed to perform God's commandments and God then regretted making him king. Now, did God not know that Saul would eventually reject his commandments when he made him king? Did God have a plan and a purpose that was thwarted here by Saul's disobedience? No, emphatically no. If I could highlight that and underline that, no, God was not thwarted by King Saul. Yet in describing the unfolding of God's unchanging will to the prophet Samuel, he takes up man-like language to say that he regretted making Saul 
king. But we shouldn't assume from this type of language that God regrets like a man regrets. And Samuel himself, in the book of 1 Samuel, is about to remind us of this fact. If you were to keep reading in 1 Samuel 15, in fact, if you want to read the 1 Samuel 15 this week, that would be a good idea. You come down to verse 29, Samuel has obediently taken this message to Saul and, and told him, that, hey, God is tearing the kingdom out of your hand and he's giving it to David. And then Samuel says this in verse 29. He says, the glory of Israel, which is just a, a, a term for God, the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. This is literally in the same chapter of the Bible, 1 Samuel 15, where God had just said, I regret making Saul king. And then Samuel goes to Saul and says, guess what? The kingdom is being torn from you, but, and, and God is not going to change his mind about this because God can't have regret. He is not like a man. Do you understand what I'm saying? I hope so. Um, in the same chapter here of the Bible, it is said that God both regrets and that he cannot regret. Was the, the Bible writers, were the, was Samuel schizophrenic here in what he was saying or was he uh, just not smart, not realizing he used the same term twice? I don't think so. I think what we see here is that even Samuel, who heard God say that he regretted something, understood this to be accommodating language. And when he's delivering his message to Saul, he emphasizes that God does not regret like man regrets. So similarly here, if we take this principle that we've been discussing and we apply it back to to Genesis, I think we see here that in this narrative, God is describing his displeasure as regret and great sorrow And it's all intended to help us understand why God sent the flood. Why why would God wipe out all mankind? How would you describe that in God? This is the way God chose to describe himself. Even if it falls short of making us completely comprehend the incomprehensible mysteries of God and his immutability. Hopefully I didn't lose you in all that. I know that, I know that it's heavy, but I, I really believe this is such a, a wonderful doctrine to wade into, and um, I don't want to take you so deep that I drown you, right? I, but I do want to encourage you, if, the, if some of this is new, dive into the deep end here and consider these things this week. God is incredibly deep and there's so much to ponder about him. And if, if it's only a head exercise, right? If this is just so that we can rattle off fancy $10 words like immutability and accommodation and anthropomorphism, it's not about that, right? I'm not doing that so that you can have a lot of head knowledge and be puffed up about that. But the reason I bothered to share this with you is because one, I, I long to defend the glory of God. As we read Genesis chapter 6 and you hear of God regretting something, I want you to understand that God does not regret like man regrets. Don't be mistaken by that. Don't 
be thrown for a loop by that. It's important to understand who God is. It's important to understand that God is incomprehensible and that we're, we're, we're just grasping at straws to try to, to express who he is. So, so important for your, your spiritual walk to understand these things. But let it not end in our heads. Let it end in our hearts. Right? Let theology lead to doxology and praise. And so let's try to take it now from our heads into our hearts here as we close. I, I want to give you a warning, a comfort, and an exhortation in closing. First, a warning. We live in a post-Christian culture. That means we live in a culture that says when it comes to God, especially the God of the Bible, been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, moved on. God and his will and his ways are seen, I think, as at best passe. More than that, I think God, in most people's mind, has been proven, especially the God of the Bible, has been proven to be hopelessly out of touch and offensive even. We are changing as a culture. We, are, we have moved beyond this, beyond God's word. God's word, I think, is seen as being on the wrong side of history. Right? History has marched on from the things that we used to believe, and now we see better, we know more. And let me just warn you that if you yourself, if you are planning on the fact that God is no longer there, he no longer exists, or that he has changed from what you read in the Bible, then you are in for a shock because God does not evolve. God does not change in his thinking. God is who he is. I am who I am. Jesus himself is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's a warning. Don't... Wait to stand before God and think, surely God has been, become enlightened like the rest of us. God doesn't grow in his understanding. He is who he is. So take warning. Secondly, a comfort. If you do, in fact, see that God's word does not change, and if you also see that 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 means that you are a sinner in need of salvation, and if that causes you, you to change your mind and turn from your sins and trust in Jesus Christ, know that the promises that God makes to you aren't like the promises he made to Saul about his kingship, the conditional promises based upon Paul's obedience. The promises that God makes to us in Jesus Christ are yes and amen, and they do not change. And so it's a wonderful comfort to those of us who see that God is a God who does not change and that we take the warning that he, will, he means what he says he means when he says, encourages us to repent of our wickedness and to believe in him. And if you do those things, if you take that warning, then you can know that his promises will never fail you. His un unconditional promises to you in Jesus Christ will not fail. In short, if you trust in his unchangeableness, then you will not be disappointed. 
when God's word says in Hebrews chapter 7 that Jesus is able to save you to the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, then you can take confidence in that as more sure than any person you know, as more sure than the heavens and the earth themselves. God isn't a moody teenager. Forgive me if you're a teenager in this room. God is not a moody teenager. Here today, grumpy tomorrow, fluctuating back and forth. He's not a moody 37-year-old, right? Throw myself under the bus. God doesn't promise you eternal life through Christ today only to cast you off tomorrow. Cling to Christ and to his promises every day of your life and he will not fail you. Lastly, an exhortation. If you are in Christ, then we, I believe, need to hear God's call not to change him, but to be changed. Right? Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In this world, you will be changed. We are to be changed into the image of Christ and not into the mold of this world. This world will try to force you into its mold. But we are to come before God daily as living, sac living sacrifices, seeking to have our minds renewed and molded and transformed into the image of Christ. So hear the exhortation to not try to change God, but to rather let him change you. And finally, I think to those who are, are far from God, either here in this room or on the live stream over the internet, trust in Christ today. He can be your rock of salvation in a changing world. Let's pray.